This is the Ad Nontech Podcast, conversations about education, technology, and culture, with Dr. Doug Reed and Dr. Matt Stranick. Thank you for joining us. My name is Dr. Doug Reed, and I am located on Abigway, the traditional and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. My name is Dr. Matthew Stranick, and I am located in Manaquisk in St. John, New Brunswick, which is situated on the traditional and unceded territory of the Wulastukyuk Maliseet people. out there and welcome to episode 46 of the Ed Nontech podcast. And uh, for those uh, who may be paying attention to the wider endeavor, we actually, uh, Doug and I, had the opportunity to speak to Dr. Pam Gurney's Education 5000 class vis-a-vis, you know, the uh, podcast format. And uh, I really, uh, Doug, I, I don't know about how it sort of feels for you, but to me, I just want to uh, take the beginning of this episode and just give a shout out again to uh, Pam for inviting me and then slash us, um, and also to the students. I you know I, I haven't heard any feedback from Pam or hadn't I haven't had any direct interaction, so one can only suppose that it went well. Um, I have heard from people outside you know, of that sphere who checked it out and actually had some positive things to say. So anyway, just uh, thanks again uh, for because for me, I guess, in terms of what this podcast even is or what it does, you know, I can't think actually of a better use for it or a better purpose than, you know, having it stand in as a de facto lecture and hopefully some of the resources that Doug provided and that we mentioned um, you know, further that. So uh, a bit of a, a bit of a wind up there at the beginning of the episode, pal, but I just kind of wanted to uh, speak to that because I really, for me, that was a really cool thing, a really significant experience as an educator. And I still have really, you know, I'm still kind of unpacking it a bit, actually. So. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. Now to, to briefly change the subject, the topic this week is going to be eight, H5P, which is interactive learning objects. And I'm glad yeah. we put this topic on hold to do that lecture or that whatever, that virtual lecture, that asynchronous uh, video that we created. And I really enjoyed it too, because I have treated all of these because I don't have a history in being a DJ or being a performer or a personality or anything like that. But I have experienced teaching to young students and to much older students. So to have that structure was really nice. I really enjoyed it when we did it the other day. Radical. Um, so it's over to me. Um, so tell me about H5P, Doug. 
what we're um, doing. I mean, I've kind of got, I've kind of got my baseline and I've kind of got my familiarity with it. Um, but I guess I would just wonder, you know, you're the person who comes up with the topics by and large. So what was the uh, impetus for this particular topic right now? I wanted to do a tool investigation. I wanted to do one of those uh, tool chest chats that we had have sporadically done because I like that category when somebody goes to the website and starts looking for for the, the metadata, it's, here we go. You want to learn about a specific tool? Here it is. And I thought it was time for that because we had done four or five episodes in a row that were very themed. And I thought, let's, let's do a standalone, a, a one-off sort of situation. And I know you've done a lot of work with H5P on the website. So I wanted to highlight that a little bit more and, and just talk about what we were doing and why we were doing it. Cool, man. Um, that is legit. Um, so first of all, thanks for um, recognizing some of the uh, bits and pieces that end up on the website. Um, I mostly do that for my own entertainment. I mostly do that so that um, it makes like when I read it, uh, I like to imagine that the reader will find it more engaging than just another bullet point or paragraph from my writing. And so in that regard, I sort of think of it largely as uh, not unlike the staggered visuals in your part of the notes. Um, so where I think it just varies a bit is and where I see a great deal of potential um, and where I'm hopefully doing more than just, you know, parlor tricks is modeling the use uh, of a tool or an application, uh, which for me, if you're talking about like making education more democratic, more accessible, then that we've gone over this on the show before, to me necessarily implies making tools that are the most user friendly possible. So if you're talking about user friendly set of tools with a whole bunch of support and a whole bunch of uh, resources behind them and, uh, you know, with H5P, it is like a... Uh, it's a standard. It's a programming standard of sorts. I know that's not the right language for it, but the fact is that those files are exportable, transferable. Um, you can, and uh, for me, you know, like between my use and experience with the Moodle learning system, thanks TRU, uh, and uh, the uh, WordPress, also thanks TRU. God help us all. Um, but those files are portable between those two systems, right? Um, and with Moodle, which is like one of the sort of more widely known and widely used learning management systems, um, it's actually embedded as a core function within it. Like, um, you know, it's like any instance of it that you get um, from anywhere is going to have that plugin basically embedded in your starter set um, with, with, the, with the product. And similarly with, um, you know, with WordPress, you know, the sort of broad CMS that gets used by something like 30% of the Internet is using WordPress. And again, the interface for WordPress is just so dead simple from a user standpoint. And that was one of the reasons why it started as blogging software. So you talk about just like a readily easy to use straight up maintained plugin. Um, that you just, you know, 
get into your WordPress thing and away you go. So um, much rambling at length here. Um, I know you probably expected that with you pick the topic. So I'll just uh, pass it over to you, bud. I'm, I'm curious about some of these references you found. So what we have is because I've been around for a while, I want to jump back before H5P just to give anybody of my vintage an idea of what's going on. So interactive learning objects have been around for a while. And it used to be a, a whole different package of things. It used to be uh, Flash. Like Macromedia Flash used to be the thing that people would build. And once you got good at it, wow, you could do amazing stuff. But getting good at it was hard and it was expensive because Macromedia Flash was a thing. And what basically happened is there was a lot of uh, the, the stuff I read said that there was a lot of uh, security risks. People were figuring out how to embed viruses and, and things like that into Flash. So people were downloading it and there was problems. And what eventually really the, the final nail in the coffin was when Apple said, yeah, Flash isn't going to work on iPhones and iPads. And that that was, I'm paraphrasing, I know it's a deeper conversation than that, but that was basically the end of it. And then JavaScript came along. JavaScript was always there, but it was never Flash. And H5P is a free open source content collaboration framework based on JavaScript. And I remember back in the day when Flash would work with HTML. It wasn't even HTML5. It was just plain old ancient HTML, which still kind of works. But So I wanted to go back and do a little bit of that history. And that's why the first reference, the Hammerton 2005 article to Flash or not to Flash, talks about that. <laughs> and I just wanted to lay the groundwork. That's a hell of a title, to Flash or not to Flash. That's... Uh... Uh, you know, thinking on the uh, various connotations of the English language. Anyway, um, well, thanks and, for that. And I will. Oh, sorry, bud. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to just maybe flash. No, uh, terrible, terrible. Um, no, but uh, seriously, though, um, thank you for that. Because for me, I don't like. I feel largely ignorant, I hate to say it, of a lot of the history of the tools, okay? Like I went into, I sort of came into the field late in the first place. I didn't actually become any kind of an educator until I was in my very, you know, 28 years old. Um, and then even to get into sort of the uh, anything close to using tech in the class, I mean, I started doing that with my B.Ed. training um, and then I sort of gravitated towards, you know, specific applications, but I don't come from, but I, it was really out of like a function of use, a function of necessity. It's like, what can I do with this, uh, you know, cool thing in this nascent kind of web 2.0 kind of internet. Um, and I kind of sort of started just kind of finding my own way based on that. So I really don't have any kind of knowledge which I know has driven certain colleagues of mine bonkers about like the technical aspects of it. Like even just basic jargon, like you, you you tell me Java and I go like, what, like 
coffee. This is, you know, it's just, but I also know that from a practical standpoint, what we have with H, you know, with uh, H5P um, and some of these other open source kind of applications uh, is that, uh, you know, they're open for development. These things have wide communities of people just kind of for their own interests, just kind of beavering away on this stuff at the side of their desks. You know, it's the same kind of people who join Wikipedia to work as editors, right? It's just, it's a hobby. It, it open formats and, you know, bring in hobbyists and sort of these uh, weird innovations that eventually kind of coalesce. So these uh, community aspects of it and the social aspects of it and the functional aspects of it, that's the stuff that motivates and interests me. Um, so what you've described is actually very helpful, kind of a nuts and bolts kind of, oh, this is what it were leading up to now. Um, so I do appreciate that uh, discussion there, bud. Um, was there anything, uh, I know that's another bit of a ramble, but uh, is there anything you wanted to add to that before we move to the next uh, resource, pal? Yes, there, there is some stuff. So we had H5P now, which people love. We had Macromedia Flash, and before that, it was called Future Splash. So in 97, when I was still doing dial-up, I used to hate these on-screen animations. I loved them if I had a good connection. And if I didn't, it just sucked the bandwidth out of my computer. And it disappointed me. But the big picture with, with Flash goes back to a conversation you and I had previously about another tool, uh, discussion forums. And I had okay. a, my little bit of a rant about how 25 years ago, we knew discussion forums weren't working that well because we hadn't figured them out. It wasn't the read the article, post the thing, and reply to two other people's. Like, ugh, we knew that didn't work, and yet that's still happening today. And with these online interactive objects, it has changed. Because when you look at all the old literature with Flash, it talks about e-learning developers building things. Because it wasn't easy. It was hard. And now H5P is the educators doing it. So you can do one in your own class with your own students. And that is the giant leap forward. It's not, oh, you got to go spend a pile of cash on somebody, or you have to spend 150 hours getting good at the nitpickiness of that timeline in Flash and how do I make this object do blah, 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 blah. All those details just kind of go away because we have moved past it. They H5P has figured out how to do that. Now, a bunch of things for the, for the people reading, if they go to the website, there's a list. There's a list of about a dozen things that Flash said, hey, here's what we can do. Here's why you need to do it. Well, I just went and checked H5P's homepage, and there's 54 different examples of different activities that you can do. So they've taken what was there, and they have expanded long, long, long beyond that, which is just so wonderful. So that's all I needed to talk about with with the Hammerton 05 article, which just we've moved past. And I am so excited and so happy that it's now in the hands of educators. It's not in the hands of a specialist. This is now a tool anybody can use. What you just said was what I was thinking as you were talking throughout. It's like it's not in the hands of specialists. It's in the hand of educators. 
And boy, oh boy, let me tell you, um, let me tell you a thing or two about a thing or two, Doug. Um, I just completely, okay. that's, that's the potential for this stuff. That's the stuff that's motivating to me. Um, and when I've had, um, you know, when I look really forward at what I kind of, if I was teaching a university class again on the regular, what I'd have the students do, um, <laughs> uh, is that I would even, you know, have them like, okay, so now you're going to, you know, get up your own little mini installation of WordPress and you're going to, you know, or your own little, you know, cloud-based Moodle or your little, your own little learning environment, whatever. Um, and actually, you know, implement this, like just build a few interactions in H5P such that you could use in your own educational setting. Because when I was teaching uh, grad courses for UNB, what I, in as much as I had any success, which is debatable, depending on who you ask, um, but um, where I felt successful was doing the whole, you know, build something, uh, justify the design, explain the design, share how the implementation would go, um, and like, in, and have the resource or the lesson plan or whatever, right? Something that's going to work in your specific situation as opposed to just like some kind of friggin', you know, diatribe or, you know, written product or whatever. I was, I mean, you, you give them the option to do the written product, but uh, anyway, for me, like just the hands-on stuff um, and then the rationale about how the hands-on thing will get used in whatever setting um, when it comes to, you know, teaching these adult education, whatever classes, that part of it was always uh, of interest to me. And so I see, you know, get the students to do some H5P just because it's easy. It teaches certain kinds of tech literacies, certain kinds of media literacies. Uh, and then plus, at the end of the day, it's more fun than just, you know, watching somebody stand there droning on a PowerPoint. So, again, um, I think uh, one tangent kind of begets another here. Um, so in that spirit, we should probably... Because we're looking at the time ticking down on the free <laughs> usage of StreamYard, because I refuse to pay for StreamYard. Sorry, StreamYard, but uh, it's true. So, um, what do we got next year on the uh, references, bud? Next goes along with your your previous comments. If people want to learn, students learn when they do. Students might learn when you're talking, but they're definitely learning when they're doing something. And so that's what all of this H5P interactive uh, learning objects have led to. And Churchill and Hedberg in 08, if that article is an evolution, even though it is only three years from the, uh, the, the previous one, the Hammerton article, it, it's more about any time inside and outside of classrooms. So you can see that jump in the philosophy and how things work. It's not do this on your website in class, it's now they can go do it whenever. And this is getting explicitly said, go do it whenever, which is really nice. And it, they, they have the typical, yeah, you can do video, audio, graphics, other medias, and you can focus the design. You can focus the design on specific learning outcomes that you want students to get to. And as an educator, that's what I want. I don't want the off-the-shelf thing. I need to get it to where I need to get it. So the manipulation of it and me adjusting it has to be me doing it. 
because every time I've dealt with a designer, and I have a lot of good designer friends, and they always say the same thing. Yeah, you're like every other client. You don't know what you want because I just don't have the right language to explain it the, the proper way. So it's the now it's the getting to the anytime in and out of classrooms, not just here, do it here this specific way. And it's giving more freedom to the students for them to do and them to interact with and them to engage with. So I wonder what your thoughts are on that. So rad. Um, my only thing, um, I sort of made some kind of visual contortions just to get a thought out of my system rather than kind of barge in, um, is just kind of like, I don't know, man, designers. It's like designers sort of think that they got an advanced skill set. And I don't know that that's true there. Sorry. The whole thing, like designers, I read this book by a couple of screenwriters and these screenwriters, they basically said, like, anybody with the right set of credentials can kind of walk in and be a Hollywood director. Anybody, any Joe Schmo could be put in as a director. And if you can sort of talk it up a certain way, they'll let you make at least one really high budget movie. Um, and that doesn't mean they have any particular set of skills. That just means that they are such that within the confluence of the event, they either lead, they are credited with leading it in some sense to success or lack thereof. Um, and like, I think design is something that comes from context. And I think, you know, people are embedded within context and, you know, sometimes you need to be able to separate yourself from that and sort of bring in some interventions, if you will. So we're talking about moving from an educational thought to moving to an educational action vis-a-vis um, -vis media um, formats. So I think like if you have somebody who's like you can talk to and can give you some insights that are helpful, then fine if it's an actual dialogue. But these people who are just kind of outbuilding themselves as like, oh, well, I got website design. I got media experience. Just like fine. I mean, I know everybody's got to provide for their family, but unless you actually want to talk to me about like what my thing is, um, I think I'll just go with my own, uh, you know, determinations, right? So, again, not to malign a whole professional class of people, but anyway, there, there's my ramble, my my unfortunate tangent that had nothing to do with the reading. Sorry, dude. Well, along that line, I I find there's two different types of people: the open-minded and the closed-minded. And I find the open-minded want to learn and they want to engage and they want to do better. And some people are just closed-minded. They already know everything. And this is their little box that they live in. And they're the experts or the masters of our domain or what, however they, they see it. And I have had some developers and designers that are exactly that. This is the only way to do it. So this is it. And then we have the other ones that, yeah, let's have that conversation. What can we do? Let's engage. Let's, let's be the team players. So I think a lot of us have run into them as, uh, as time has gone by. So some I think are wonderful and some are like, okay, I'll grip my teeth and get through working with you or trying to work with you. It's, it's one of those things that happens. It's, I get it. I've, yeah. I've talked to a lot of teachers that they're experts. They know everything. 
So go ahead. Sorry. And, and I'm also aware that in my capacity as a professional, you know, in various aspects of adult education over the decades, that uh, people have found me to be exactly the kind of person I'm complaining about. So not to like put ourselves out as being above any of this moral fray. It's just, uh, it's interesting when you can find a moment and uh, think about it and uh, potentially learn from it. Um, and uh, just to speak further uh, briefly to, you know, this notion of breaking down expertise from the silos of, um, you know, the technocrat or whatever class, uh, developers, designers, <laughs> I'm just hitting designers, like, but no, um, but, uh, you know, experts, you know, to separate expertise from, you know, technological and into the practical, uh, putting it into the hands of people who need it. I've been waving around the pedagogy of the oppressed because I know Doug has mentioned not that long ago that we should get be getting back to that on the show. And actually, um, I had two people, uh, Pam and then somebody else who watched the uh, episode or the uh, lecture, rather, the Education 5000 talk, um, and they actually mentioned like, so where can I find out more? Or here's an example of a thing that I think is related to that. So for Yair, uh, the interest remains, the interest is persistent and rightfully so. And uh, gosh danged if we're uh, not going to find a way to get back into that, because I think as we go further along, um, it is proving more relevant, right? So you're talking about H5P, a tech standard, you're really talking about embedded value systems that go into producing that on a number of levels and across a number of networks uh, and ultimately leading to this really neat functional tool set that I could teach my 14 year old to use within an hour for sure. Um, and he could make a little video about it and teach cooler things to do than that. So tirade for tirade friend, where are we going next? Uh, where we're going to go next is Single Cell and Charlatan 2020, creating H5P content for active learning. So I've, I've jumped ahead 12 years, and basically we're at the point where people are agreeing that active learning is a proven method to use in educational design practice. And it's one of those, oh, you mean we get people to do stuff and they learn? Wow, isn't that cool and amazing? Why do we have to write that down? But we do. So anyway, that's where we're at. <laughs> awesome. And basically that's it. I just chuckled at the somebody had to write that down to, to make it clear. One thing that I will say about the education literature as a whole, if I can make generalizations, and I can because it's my show, <laughs> our show, um, is that education doesn't do an awesome job of documenting itself in professional literature the way that other disciplines do. Um, and in that sense, I mean, you know, you talk about, you, you look at engineering, you look at like, um, you know, the so-called hard sciences, the empirical sciences, um, and the social sciences just have a wretched reputation in terms of not even like lack of methods, uh, but lack of like just knowing how to present themselves to other disciplines. Um, and so I think, you know, to speak to your point, um, that when it comes to, we, uh, we, we do need to write stuff down. We need to do a much friggin' better job 
across all areas um, in our, you know, peer reviewed journalistic, you know, whatever um, areas and like actually, you know, represent as a sector um, way better than we do. Um, I will not be the person to do that because I lack the contacts and training and momentum within my career from an academic standpoint to, uh, to ever reach that point. But I can certainly put myself in the peanut gallery vis-a-vis a podcast that hits however many people and say, yeah, man, that's a thing. So there we go. What do you think about that, Doug? I agree. I agree. I know my comment was a bit flip. And even as I said it, I have a memory of of a video I watched many, many years ago. And it was after World War II, they were mothballing a bunch of warships and like disassembling them at one of those shipyards that take stuff apart. And people were, they had film crews videoing the structures of the armor on some of these old battleships. And the question was, why are you doing that? It's like, we don't know how to do that anymore. That that has, and all the people that knew how to do that have long since retired. They're not in corporate, the industry anymore. Corporate memory. Yes, yes. Institutional yes. memory. You can't just rely on like, oh, somebody down the hall did this, or, you know, here's a wiki website from five years ago that, you know, precisely so. I'm not meaning to uh, unduly come at you, pal. I just like, oh, here's a thing we could unpack briefly. Um, so these are some awesome resources, <laughs> dude. Um, and uh, just I like how you're even moving further ahead in the timeline. So we go from 2020 to 2021 with this next one. Mm-hmm. Looks like a conference paper. Wixono. Yeah. You can try yeah, saying Wixono, that. <laughs> Sarah Rini, Akita, and... Nova One, talking about H5P and teaching English. And what they do is they, I like the way they put together and they talked about if you use H5P, you're equipping the teacher with gears to engage students in the learning process. And I just like that imagery of, yeah, this is now just an integral thing. It's not a whiz-bangy thing anymore. It's just another tool. And so we've now matured to the point in the literature where it's just a tool, just use it. It's not worth getting all wound up and excited about. It's just the next thing. Now, with H5P, just because we've talked about the history of it a bit and we've talked about the theoreticals, I'm going to read through a list of some of the activities that you can build with H5P, and then I'm going to put you on the spot and maybe get you to talk about some of the stuff you've been playing with in class or in our, our, in class, in our, on our website. It's it's things like creating accordion files. Go ahead. Well, I I was just going to say, I mean, you know, ultimately whether it was sort of intended or not back when we first sort of developed the concept for this, is we quickly realized, I think, that this was going from a broadcasting, you know, professionally kind of endeavor to, like, we want the thing to actually stand on its own in every aspect as some kind of asynchronous learning resource. Um, So, again, I think just one of the things that I came away from um, last week with Pam's class 
that that sort of I realized is that, you know, those students are going to probably be checking out the WordPress. And I mean, they could potentially then go through the various episodes. Um, and besides the uh, handsomeness and besides the flippant remarks, they might actually, uh, you know, the, all those references are there. And so they can see like at a certain point, like when we decided to start documenting each uh, unsplash picture and where the music comes from, that happened at a certain point in our learning. If you go back to like, you know, the part where we started tagging it, it's like that happened at a certain point in our learning. And I almost think ah, I could go back and like add metadata to the previous ones. But in a way, I kind of like it as just an artifact organically of when we started shifting our practice. So um, anyway, man, I, I just it's and the fact that this is now sort of within the curriculum of a certain class at one institution just to me sort of stands as part of the endeavor. You know, this whole kind of post-modern uh, kind of critique we started out with is now manifesting as a thing that is not just educational commentary, but it is like on the curriculum in a syllabus, so to speak. Um, again, I mean, I, I don't want to like play up what we're doing here too far, but it just, uh, it really strikes me that the potential for these media formats and just making them as accessible as you can vis-a-vis -vis, uh, not just open educational tools like H5B, but the attendant practices and the attending cultures of practice that go along with it, uh, that's really quite interesting. So pardon me, dude. Tirade begets tirade. No. No, that's that's exactly it. We I've spent my time trying to role model proper learning behavior, proper teaching behavior, proper pedagogy, andragogy, because I'm a lifelong learner. So if if people can see us with our terminal degrees in education, learning and adapting and struggling with and, and doing all those things, I'm hoping some people will look at that as like, oh, okay, that's not so bad that I'm having a similar struggle or I don't know everything right away. So with, with us, with our experience, yeah, it's, it's okay to struggle with things. It's okay to fail at it. So, sometimes you, it's just not meant to be, no matter what you do. If, if you weren't struggling with it, something would be wrong. It would be. It would not be interesting. That's all. I mean, really, at the end of the day. Yeah. Now, now to jump back to tirades, I'm I'm going to have a bit of a list <laughs> of some of the things you can do with H5P. And again, the actual building of it, if we can teach elementary school students to do it or junior high students to do it in less than an hour, I know educators can do this. So if you need a crossword puzzle, dialogue cards, do you need like to create a collage of multiple images or like a drag the word or drag and drop, finding hot spots, fill in the blanks, those find a words that force people to look at certain things, image pairs. There's all kinds of wacky stuff. And I'm just kind of going through alphabetically. You can do presentations, memory games, multiple choice quizzes. You can do the questionnaires, speak the words, structure strips, true, false questions, virtual tours, branching scenarios. There's so many things that you can do quite easily that help engage the students with their learning. And the first time, yeah, it's going to take longer. 
But by the third, fifth, tenth, twentieth time, it's easy. It it takes no time. And if you're trying to figure out how do we present and how do we create an interactive video, well, it's right there. And I know that H5P fits in basically every learning management system, every LMS H5P plugins work for. And I know now that not only do they fit, but if you create quizzes in some of these, it goes into your, your grade book. So you can create this and it, it's a quiz or it's a test or it's a whatever. And the scores that the students you, you give to them, it'll go into their grades if you want that to happen. So there's so much there. It's so easy to do. I This is just so wonderful. It's so easy, so interactive. There's so many upsides. There are so many upsides. And if you're not working with an LMS, then set up a blog on WordPress. And they all fit in there too. So there's all kinds of different ways to get this material out there to the students. And so I'm, I'm very excited. I am so happy that we, we talk of, we're talking about this. And I'm wondering awesome. what your thoughts are because you've done more on our website than, than I have. Because I've done nothing. Well, well, it's just it's funny because to me, I've just been kind of like, you know, when I see things now in terms of like, I would like to express this, you know, in terms of something for the show, um, I sort of go for what's going to be naturally interactive. So, I mean, I hunt down GIFs, you know, um, and kind of place those prominently on the WordPress post. Um, And then I think, okay, so maybe I want to do some just ridiculous whack uh, AI generations, such as the one behind me, uh, which is, uh, uh, post post 20 it's like vintage jailbreak post jailbreak or something ridiculous. Um, and so, you know, just like, Oh, a gallery of, you know, these. So, I mean, if I think of just like the, you know, I got, I got my, within my personal usage of this, you know, both, I think I can safely say without revealing too much that I am using this stuff at work a bit um, now. So H5P that is. So, you know, I got a different set of needs from among the, you know, 30 or 50 or whatever different content types that there are. So like for me in an adult setting, like uh, having the image slider in lieu of PowerPoint, right? Uh, to me, that is an effective thing. And because you can just throw your images into it and just have them go across in a gallery way, and it kind of blows up, fills up the full screen. So if you need something, you know, to zoom in on. Um, Also, the uh, visual hotspots, I've made pretty interesting use of those. Um, I've also found that with the, uh, just the audio tool, that instead of having a file you know, up on your system, like an audio file, an MP3, which can take up a lot of space, is just upload it as, so it sort of sits in a different location. And then again, it's easily shareable, easily downloadable. Um, And then some of these things are more, I guess, you know, if you're talking about the language education aspect, which I have some experience with in terms of the teacher. I mean, if I were to go back 10 years to when I left being an English teacher, basically, I would be looking at like the, um, you know, the crossword or, you know, some of these, uh, some of these are definitely made with language education in mind. 
So I just think with all of the sub-communities of amateur enthusiasts and people who are getting paid by grants and foundations and things to develop this, I mean, I don't even know the ultimate org that under, you know, under which the, the primary activity sort of is initiated. But still, um, I just, I'm as enthusiastic about it as you are, Doug. Um, and I think probably the reason that I'm enthusiastic about it is because we're already at this point with it. And I'm just like, I don't see the format going away in five or 10 years. I think this has a pretty long shelf life. So if you just sort of go five years, 10 years down the line, um, I think that where this is headed is going to be just even more content types, more repositories of robust content types. And I mean, even just in terms of like what we are doing, I mean, so you want to speak to what we're doing, um, just annotating certain parts of the WordPress post, like I did on the last episode, right, where I had a bit of text information, but then I just had a little uh, audio widget, like where you could hear me just kind of doing a little additional commentary. So I think just by doing some demonstration of some fairly basic functionality with this stuff, it doesn't take much whiz bang to enliven um, a learning experience, in my opinion. Little goes a long way if you're willing to experiment and if you have some level of technical competency. And again, my real final wind, wind down on this particular tirade is what I love about this tool set um, is that it reduces the threshold, the technical knowledge threshold significantly. Um, and in so doing, it becomes de facto an empowering technology, potentially. And uh, again, getting us back into the land of our good friend, uh, Free Air, in terms of intention there, if possible. <laughs> Whew, tirade upon tirade upon tirade, dude. Sorry. No, that's all good. It's all good. And I agree that these tools aren't going away. We look back to 1997, so it's been, what, 27 years that these have existed. And they're more popular now than ever before. So they're not going away. This this is a thing that's going to stand. And I think it's H5P.org is the organization that is, that's carrying the ball. And they have a timeline that goes back to at least 2025 of here's what was going on when, and here's what you could do with it. So Sorry, what year? It's nine going years back old. To when? You said 2025. 2015. 2015. Okay. Did I? Sorry about that. Cool. Just wanted to yes, make sure. I... Yeah. Okay. No, it's cool. all good. Yeah. That that was a typo that I do not have a time machine. <laughs> So I guess, Doug, if I can then ask you, I mean, so, I mean, one thing that I'm going to consider for this episode is, I mean, if I were just, I might do some screenshots of like where the H5P lives on our website, just for instance, because I got like, you know, 10 or 12 specifically associated with our site. So what I might do is actually take a few screenshots of our use of H5P and then render that as a little H5P gallery just to show, you know, the gimmickiness of it. Um, but, uh, I mean, if I just sort of look at this for you, Doug, I mean, you know, within your context, are there any of these kind of content types or activities that sort of jump out at you as like, oh, if I were teaching again in the classroom on the regular, this could be cool. I mean, what do these look interesting for you, bud? 
basically all of them. I look at all of these things and I think, here's how I would do it teaching that class, or here's how I would do it teaching that subject. And I've taught from grade one to PhD. I have taught, kindergarten is the only thing I have not taught, basically. So I would most definitely look at it and say, I know that I could get like students in grade five, 10 year olds, they could do all all of these things without a doubt. And they would have had fun learning how to do it because it's a nice risk-free way to get started. So I, I would do all of them. I'm always biased towards the photography ones because I have a couple hundred thousand pictures that I've taken. But I love the ones where it's like, okay, where are the hot points? Or let's do a virtual tour. I'd love to do a virtual tour of my house. Just if I ever cleaned it first, I'd need to like take the vacuum and <laughs> do all that. But I'd love to have students be able to tell stories because I think telling stories is so important and it ties everything there. If if with the storytelling and the narrative, they could also walk through their environment. And, and if, if it was a story in the woods, go to the woods and take some video and do that, that video tour of things. I think that would be amazing. I would love to do that stuff with students again. I think you've touched on a couple of things there, bud. First of which is uh, furthering the potential experiential learning endeavor um, and going into the woods. I mean, land-based initiatives, um, opportunities to indigenize your curriculum vis-a-vis exploring those um, kind of relationships. So um, that's all rad. But then also, you know, doing the tour around your house, I almost just thought, well, there is going to be another pandemic. I think we can all suitably agree. (laughs) So in terms of like pandemic 2.0 or whatever the crap, when that comes around inevitably, like, okay, this is something you can do. You can explore your own environment and then use some of these tools to kind of uh, do blow up views or, you know, enhance kind of connective experiences, connective, almost use the word connectivist, but that's uh, something I'm not prepared to even begin to go down on a, because that'll just be a tirade that will lead nowhere as far as I'm concerned for now. Um, Dude, I feel like we're making some good progress here. And I think actually within our rambles, we're uncovering some um, things that we've uh, already spoken to on the show variously, but then are kind of shoring up as to follow back on. Because again, I think with all of this, we can sort of subsume that under our definitely admittedly ironic and facetious PEI concept, right? Um, Because... These cloud-based applications, these self-gen, these OER that make it real easy to build and contribute, I mean, they're going to follow you around, right? They're in the cloud, and so they're going to follow you from device to device, physical environment to physical environment. Um, and so, hence, personal education infrastructure really being uh, sort of the key there, I think. So, shout out to PEI, TM. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And one thing I really loved about this topic is we got to cover stuff across our typical topics because this is a tool that drives straight down the middle of the road. And normally our topics are 
are very specific but wide. So this, to me, just feels like a way that we can throw in, like we got the free air reference in and social constructionism. This is perfect for that. More students, less teachers, right? We want the students doing and the teachers supporting the learning. So I, yeah, I, this is a nice way to, to touch a bunch of bases again. And it's such a fantastic tool. Sweet. It is definitely um, worth people's time to spend an hour to do. Well, and I mean, again, this is where um, I've had some experiences now. I'm almost thinking because when people are developing educational resources, they tend to think, and rightfully so, sort of a generic use case, right? Here's the worksheet. Here's the video. Here's whatever. And I'm going to pump that out as a resource, a curricular resource. So H5P, you know, increasingly there are even like besides the ones that we've covered, I mean, literally, there was one released like just yesterday that I saw somebody I follow on LinkedIn kind of hype. And these things get more specific. I mean, you can do ones that are going to incorporate AI prompts and, and things like that. But um, beyond that, you know, the potential is you're contributing to a wider OER ecosystem in as much as these go into sort of a, a hub. Right. I think it's called the H5P hub. It's sort of the overall repository. I think the default setting when you create them is that it doesn't go into it. Um, I have yet to really explore that aspect of the relationship between the wider hub. But, you know, you can do like a little personal clip of you just reading, you know, say a poem for your literature class or whatnot. Um, and I mean, you have not just your own personal use of it, but then vis-a-vis -vis the hub, vis-a-vis -vis these other avenues of sharing it because the file is such a widely accepted format. You know, you could even just literally put it up as a, you know, downloadable thing attached to an email or, you know, your most basic blog post and other people could just click it and then away they go um, with the ability with the H5P tools, it's important to modify it. So the notion here is that anytime you create something, you know, you can keep it locked down, you can keep a priority to, it, to your own use, but part of the cool aspect of it is that it opens it up for remixing, so-called, and uh, reuse and recontextualization by other people, um, and then furthering, you know, potentially going back into this wider hub of, uh, you know, where the stuff all originates and can ultimately live. Again, uh, that was a diatribe, but it was hopefully just giving people a little bit more of an overview of kind of how the thing is sort of meant to work within an ecosystem kind of notion uh, relative to the tech, which is how I tend to, like Doug mentioned, thinking in terms of narratives and stories is what gets me through to this stuff. So, sorry, Doug. <laughs> Nope, that's uh, okay, man. That's okay. So just so to wrap things up, I have a couple of images there. Do we not? That yes, I, I really like the some user assembly required. This was from a collection that was free online about moving to Mars and making Mars home somehow. So I really enjoyed that. The whole concept of the H5P. I thought tied really in with teacher professional development. And I just love this. I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. I'm just going to give you cool ideas. 
that current teachers have actually done and have that communal support. It's, hey, I did this thing. Maybe this works for you. One of the reasons another tool, Kahoot, that, that online little game tool works so well is they're all free. They're all in some kind of hub where, yeah, I'm looking for a Kahoot on whatever. And then you can download it and here you go. And then you can alter the questions and stuff. And I did that quite a bit the last time I was uh, teaching in the K to 12. And I really love the learning objects. Just, I have one image that talks about how they can boost engagement, improve learner retention, create a more customized learning path. We didn't really get to that, but it's, isn't it all about the students getting to learning what they need to know and getting to where they need to get. And this can help them with that customization because in a classroom, those IEPs, individualized educational plans, holy moly, how do you individualize for, for 25 students in a class? This is one way that might take a lot of the load off you. So that might be great. And then once you get, once you've done a couple, reducing course creation time, it'll take less time because it'll be easy for you to do. You can sit down in a few minutes and do it instead of figuring out all that other stuff. So the, there's a couple more images in there. Go take a look. One of them is just silly because it just made me laugh and it had been sitting in my digital clutter for so long. And I have three more things. The word, phrase, and question of the podcast. Word of the podcast is H5P because that's what we talked about a bunch. Question of the podcast is, since we know that interactive learning objects help students, what can we do to get more educators to use them more often? What can we do to reduce those hurdles and get rid of that friction? What can we do? Because that's what needs to happen next. We know it's a good tool. We know it helps. So... How do we make the obstacles go away? And phrase of the podcast is uncovered things we have already spoken to. So for people that have been listening to the podcast for the last year and a half, yeah, we covered a whole lot of things. We went back and demonstrated our biases and what our beliefs are a lot. So this will be a good episode for people that have never listened to the podcast to come listen to because we most definitely covered all of our preconceived notions <laughs> but that's all i have um i'm wondering what your thoughts are just to wrap things up for us yeah um really good uh to cover all that doug and uh i was just looking uh doug has shot me a couple of comments that uh, my audio dropped a couple of times here to address with specific time signatures and at one point um i was uh doing the you know verbal tick here a bit so we got a specific time signature on here for Camtasia purposes. So again, in case people are following along at home and wondering what uh, goes into the podcast thingy. Uh, but otherwise, um, you know, I, I don't have much else to say. I think uh, this has been really great. And I think um, we'll probably be delving back into more H5P stuff. Um, I'll throw out some examples that we've done on this show. But I think this lends itself really well to uh, revisiting later on down the line as well. So thanks to Doug for this uh, awesome topic. Thanks to everybody for checking it out. Uh, and I guess that's it from me. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. <laughs>